We're now going to hear from Professor Sarah Watley about a case study around making it happen, as she puts it, with Siobhan Davis. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to this because it's easy for people like me to talk about how wonderful this all is and how the technology is enabling and things will be sorted out. And it's only, as Jake discovers, when you actually get down to doing it that you discover what the real issues are find some solutions and start to think creatively about solutions to them and the future problems. So if I can ask Sarah to take the podium, I'll get out of your way. Hello everybody, it's very, very nice to be here and thank you for the invitation. Um, and I want to introduce David Bennett, who's my glamorous assistant, because um, what we're going to do through this presentation is show you the archive. Um, and even though I've tried this before, it's really hard to speak and drive an archive at the same time. So I thought it was much simpler to bring David along um, to do that for me. But I will say apologies, because of course we're in a space where, a beautiful space, um, but a space which isn't terribly sympathetic to a screen um, because of the lighting. So um, please play with this at home and don't look at this as being how it really is because you will get very little of the quality of the archive and indeed we might have problems with streaming and it might start buffering and that sort of thing. So um, this is just to give you a, an experience of it. So um, I'm, this, what I'm going to be talking about today is very much a story um, of a very productive collaboration between a major dance company, UK dance company, and a university. But it's also a story of a project that began with very little knowledge about what we were doing. Um, we were a group of people who had different um, expertise, clearly a dance company, a senior artist, and um, myself as a researcher, um, albeit with a dance practitioner background, but nonetheless somebody who was very much a scholar, who was interested in what, what dance means, um, but fascinated by what would happen if we started to build an archive. Um, and so this, so the archive is very much um, a story about Siobhan Davis dance. And it's a story about trying to increase access to the work and feeling excited about what would happen if indeed we do create more, more access to her work and to dancing in general. So we started off with a series of questions. Because we were funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, of course the questions were predominantly research focused. Um, but what I'm going to be talking about today is very much the practical aspects, the challenges we came across, and how we solved or didn't solve them along the way. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit of technical, but not very much. Um, so I'm going to be talking a bit, a bit about the selection and organisation of the content, data management, interface design, um, and how those initial ambitions for the project developed or changed over the development period, and then I'm going to say a little bit about um, how the archive is situated within Davis's work as a whole. And, and Siobhan very generously talked a little bit about that earlier on when she introduced today. Um, and also how the archive and the project has generated other projects. So it isn't an end in itself. It has produced other sorts of projects. So we started off very naively and optimistically. It seemed straightforward at the beginning. We were simply going to create an archive we were going to build a back-end, and we were going to build a front-end interface and put it all online. Easy. Um, and it was actually our na naivety and optimism that I think got us through it. 
actually, because confession, we had no archivist on the team. Confession, it didn't occur to me we needed an archivist. When I talked to archivists, when we got the funding, I went into a spin because most of them said, you'll never do it. They said, you will come up against so many problems, you will never do it in 30 months. And I drew breath and I said, well, you know, you're wrong. We're going to do it. And, and I think we did manage it. We did pull it off. Um, but it was partly that naivety that I think helped get, get us through it. Um, we started off with, um, we knew quite a lot of the content existed here belonging, belonging in inverted commas, to Davis and the company. Um, but there was no hard copy archive. So in some ways, it was a born digital archive. Not born digital content, but the archive didn't exist in hard copy form. Although, of course, through generating the online, we have produced something of, an, of a hard copy archive in the process. Um, and also, importantly, we're talking about an archive and all the meaning associated with the word archive, but of a living artist and an artist who is very much a living, working artist who continues to make work. So always at the beginning, we knew we had to find a balance between creating something that was very designed, that was an aesthetic object, and would speak in its own terms as an object, an artist object, but was also user-friendly. So the user would be able to search, discover, and make sense of the content. And those tensions can be difficult to solve. So we began in 2007. We had significant funding from the HRC. It ran for 30 months, and we launched in June 2009. But it does continue to grow and change, so it is never finished. And that in itself can be challenging for anybody building archives. Don't think of it as a fixed period of time. It goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. We started with a modest collection of materials, but as Davis has continued to make work and, of course, has been fascinated by this archival process, she has generated many more objects, much more material. So each new project, as she makes a new project, becomes archived. And each new project puts challenges on this back-end architecture, which is fixed. It isn't something we can go in and undo and remake. So we have to think creatively about how these new projects, and if any of you are familiar with Siobhan Davis, her work has changed quite radically over this, these last few years. And I'll say a bit more about that, because my view, and I think Sue would agree with this to some extent, that the, the, the work of the archive has stimulated her thinking process as an artist and started to help her think differently about what she's making, why she's making, which has been in parallel with this glorious building. So the archive developed alongside how she began to take up residence and start to think about her work differently because of this building. The site is publicly available. It's free to access. There is a registration process, which is there merely as a way of saying there's some of this content that we work very hard to get, and we want the serious user to come to it. It doesn't prevent anybody getting to it, but it just means that you need to work a bit harder to get to some of the content. We've got something in the region of 5,500 core assets, which generate in themselves over 80,000 individual digital objects. The content is primarily audiovisual content. We've got still image, we've got text, some journal articles, some lab notation scores, but no press material because of the licensing rules. 
We've got lots and lots of publicity and marketing materials. The video extends back as far to her early work in the 1970s. So in many ways, it provides a very valuable access to the whole development of contemporary dance in this country. Um, so it provides an important uh, way in, a route into seeing our dance heritage. So it moves far beyond Davis's work. Most of the video, of course, from those earlier days is captured simply by a camera being at the back of the theatre. So the, content, uh, the quality of the content is variable. But that in itself is interesting. Um, there's also, and this is what you have to register for, some of the content, a very interesting collection of um, what we call scratch tapes, which are those records of dancers working through tasks, rehearsal material in the studio, material that never normally is available in the public domain. These are private records, these are private memory aids, so they're not like little memory objects for the dancers themselves. But from a researcher's point of view, and perhaps other users, particularly artists, these scratches become really interesting in terms of being able to enter into the dancer's thought-making process. How do they solve choreographic problems in the studio? And how does that work that takes place in the laboratory environment of the studio then evolve and emerge and find its way or not into the final work, the final performed work that is in the public domain? Um, there are also quite a lot of draft designs from, um, uh, from an artist's notes and sketch materials. Those sorts of materials that are often just lost in the making process or get buried or discarded, thrown away. Um, so it provides the user with a really unique way of um, accessing dance content. So uh, a big team was involved in the creation, well, a relatively big team. Um, we had two full-time researchers at Coventry University, in addition to my own time, um, working closely, very closely with the company here. We had a steering group that were wonderful, um, providing oversight, a special advisor, Scott De La Hunter. And in general, I'm just going to run through what it is we did um, so you get a sense of the volume of work. So first of all, of course, we have to manage the collaboration. And if you bring a university together with an arts organisation, it's never straight, that straightforward. Um, so you have to start thinking about your working methods. The archive is jointly owned between the university and the company. We gathered the materials. I, in particular, had to start learning a new language. I had to start learning what, what metadata meant. Uh, aggregation, a digital object, even that was new to me. The user, content, all of this language that was really quite new to me. Um, we then embarked on the process of digitization, which in itself takes a lot of hours, hard labor, sitting in front of a machine for hour after hour after hour. We established a digital asset management process, and we brought, we brought in at that time a proprietary system we wouldn't do that now, but we did do it then, because in 2006-07, what was available on open source was still relatively crude, and we needed to get moving very quickly, and we didn't have the expertise to tailor what was available, so we bought something off the shelf. Um, we then devised our metadata schema, which I won't say too much about, um, because we had a nice description of that earlier, which is simply about making sure that people could find material. Um, we used a, a developed version of Dublin Core for that, um, but we did need to make, tailor it for the kind of content. 
And that's interesting as well. If any of you are working as um, in collaboration between the technology providers and the artists, how you make that relationship work in terms of the expectations of how work is described. Because, of course, the knowledge of that material resides very much with the artists and all who collaborate in the art-making process, but how that translates into a meaningful metadata schema from the point of view of the user experience means that you really do have to find something that's very simple. It may not map neatly onto the role descriptors of all of those who've contributed content. So that's just something to bear in mind. We were very lucky. We had one of the dancers, Deborah Saxon, who's worked with Sue for many years, who joined us on the project team halfway through and was able to provide so much of that information that actually only resides with those people who were in the making at the time. Which venues, which musicians on that night, and so on and so on. We had to solve all those issues of copyright and permissions and ownership. And I'm just going to say very little about this because my colleagues later on are going to be talking about that. Um, but nonetheless, it was a big challenge and it took many hours of establishing those permissions and rights and so on. Um, what I will say is very important in this is that Sue now embarks on any work by establishing all of that material can go online at the point of making. So we had to go back to, of course, all the artists who've been involved in work in the past. And dance is inherently co-created. It's co-authored. It's made by a team of people, as I'm sure most of you know. So it isn't simply owned by one person. Um, and there were no standards at the time. We were negotiating those terms with music publishers, which were quite different from the photographers, which was quite different from the designers, and so on and so on. So every single contributor had to be um, uh, ha had to have an individual um, negotiation process. We then looked at interface design. How is this going to meet the public? What is the design of this interface? And thinking then about the user. Who is the user? Who's going to come into this collection, this archive? We wanted it to be as open as possible. We didn't want it to be a didactic resource. We wanted it to be something which lots of different users from very young, to people who, did know, who knew nothing about dance, to people who were dance experts, could find value in this collection. So that informs, of course, how you organize the materials online. We went through a series of test, uh, user testing, uh, a phase series of user testing. Really important information came back, which modified what we were doing. We put it out right at the beginning when it was a bit rough around the edges, right the way through to when it was nearly finished. Really important to engage your users. We also then developed a series of archive tools um, which would help the user do things with the archive. Because some of the early feedback we got was, it's a really beautiful object, but I don't really know what to do with it. Where do I go when I get that? So um, we set up um, a simple scrapbook tool, which is a very nice, easily usable, very, very kind of low-tech way of collecting material as a thinking space for the user. So you start then to reflect back on the searches you've you've been through, to think, what is this collection of objects that I've pulled together? What does it tell me about this collection? Um, we also um, embarked on a project called Kitchen, where two works within the archive, um, Birdsong and In Plain Clothes, have a very different kind of uh, process within the dance work where what we, we call them kitchen because we pull together all the ingredients that have made up the work and we show how the work has been cooked 
Um, so there's a very nice kind of designed, as you see here on screen, um, where you can go into different aspects of the work and see comments from the dancers, comments from the designers, snatches of music, snatches of commentary and so on. Um, and you get a sense of how this, this dance work evolved over time. They're prototypes, but we enjoyed the playfulness of working through these kitchen ideas. Um, and the most difficult problem of all, and if only we were doing this project now with the benefit of the work that's just come out, the case studies from um, the GIST that we've heard about earlier, sustaining the archive. How do you sustain it beyond the funding period? Um, because there is a real annual cost of updating server costs, licensing costs, people costs, they're real costs. And the reality is the world changes terribly quickly. So it doesn't matter what you're told in 2006, it probably won't be what you're told in 2009. So because the world shifts so quickly, you have to keep thinking forwards, keep replanning, revisiting that sustainability plan. What you thought was going to be the surefire moving forward from end of funding period onwards when you start the project is not going to be the situation when you finish it. And as we know, we're in a very rapidly changing environment at the moment. And what I will say is our university, uh, we have a great relationship with the library who have taken on the ongoing servicing and management of the archive from our end. And Davis and the company have built in a line to all of their, their, their projects whereby there is some funding going into ongoing upkeep and design of the archive. So again, it's about the partnership continuing on through the ongoing development of the archive but it's not without its ongoing challenges. So what have we made? The archive is not the same as a website, although the user experience will be the coming into a website. So we thought about the name. If we call it an archive, does it mean it's something dead and dusty? Not so. So we call it replay, the idea being that you can replay work from the past. But it was always about looking to the future. It was about something being living and interactive. It's very much another creative project for Davis. It isn't simply the past. So how the work itself is represented through the archive is very important. It reflects back, but it also changes what she does today and how she makes new work into the future. It's an active process. But in that, it also collapses time. It's an art form, of course, dance that doesn't have ready access to its past, its history. So the archive brings the past together with the present, together with the future. But that can be disturbing for all of those who thought the work would never be seen again. So for all of those contributors of work that was made in the 70s and 80s, that can be quite um, uns unsettling, to bear that in mind and the uncertainty about what happens when it goes online. Who is going to use it? Will, suddenly we, will we suddenly sell the content to Coca-Cola? And I have to say, we have been approached by some interesting uh, film producers who were interested because the quality of the content is so good. They want to buy the content. We can't sell it. Hmm, interesting business model that we didn't think about at the beginning. So um, we're talking about an archive that came out at a time when there were other sorts of archival projects, things like synchronous objects that you might be familiar with. These are all 
different kinds of archival projects for signature practices of very senior artists. There is no archive template here. I think we have to acknowledge that every artist that makes an archive, it will be very particular to them and their work. So Davis now has a very rich digital presence. And what we have here is not only a building, a physical venue, but also a digital venue, which uh, complementing this, this physical building. Um, we have, in addition to replay, we have relay, not to be confused with replay, which broadcasts digital exchanges of ideas about dance and choreography. It features talks, videos, images from exhibitions and events that happen here. So there is this dynamic relationship between the physical and the virtual. And that relationship is something that Sue mentioned earlier. We are now working happily in partnership again with Sue and the company on the library of processes. As Sue described it, this series of shoeboxes of artist processes, which again is funded through an AHRC, in this case, uh, AHRC Collaborative Doctoral Award, which David will be um, enjoying participating in. Um, and I'd like to think that what we're doing there in that project is not so much capturing the work, but catching the work and translating that idea of catching into the audience experience, how the audience then catches that experience of the work through their engagement with the library. We've been fortunate that we've had a series of related project, projects out of the archive, which has enabled us to continue to sustain it and develop it. For example, our recently completed D-Traces project that was funded through GISC, which enabled us to explore how to embed the archive within the dance curriculum at Coventry. Students used the archive as a model for their own self-archiving in the form of reflective blogs to support their development as dance artists and as part of their personal development planning portfolios. The project en enabled them to hear directly from the dancers from the company and their experiences of blogging. It also provided us with time and resource to find out much more about who was using the archive, what they were doing with it, where they were coming from. <coughs> Davis's work is predominantly UK-based, but we were able to discover that her work is now seen worldwide. Between 2009 and August 2010, we had nearly 45,000 visits from about 10,000 unique visitors from over 90 countries worldwide. Now, on the face of it, as a web resource, that may not sound very many, but actually, if you relate that to the number of audience, audience numbers for the live work, it's colossal. And we are being contacted all the time by other uh, cultural institutions across the world who are fascinated by the archive and, and coming in to see Sue's work for the first time. So it's, it's working on this worldwide basis. We also have been involved in the Digital Dance Archives project, which was an HRC-funded project, which is a portal taking the user to a number of different dance collections, including Siobhan Davis Replay. There is a more sophisticated scrapbook, virtual scrapbook tool on that site, and there is also um, the beginnings of a visual search tool where users will be able to search content by visual similarity. One of the important aspects of that, and I want to pick up on what, um, what Paul was talking about earlier, is that one of our fascinations through all of this work is how do artists engage with archives? They may be the subject of archives, but how do they then come into working with, using, relating to archives? And we did quite a lot of work with artists, saying, what do you do with these online archives? 
And we got some interesting responses, ranging from them saying, I'm really anxious about going in there because I may get lost in it, to, but if I'm not interested in Sue's work, why would I go there? And everything in between. So we boldly uh, decided to commission two choreographers. It was an open call. We selected two choreographers who we gave um, some funding to, to specifically work with the archives and to create a performance response to the archives. And in so doing, document that process like a meta-archival process, creating their own virtual scrapbook of that process. And it was very revealing how they talked about excavating their own histories through working with other people's histories, how they discovered much more about their own arts practice through looking at other arts practice and so on and so on. So it was very generative of new work. So that became something that excited us a lot and something we want to look at into the future. So we think, in summary, that we've created this very uh, productive knowledge exchange between the company and ourselves. At the heart of the project is an artist-led resource, an artist-led initiative, and that was really important to us. We do think that replay is a valuable source for viewing, analyzing, reconstructing dance, and seeing the evolution of an artist's work over time. But a digital archive is not only a resource or a repository, but it's also a new kind of representation of dance or whatever the principal content is. It's not simply a conversion from the analog to the digital. It is a translation. And that means that the work changes or has the potential to change because, um, because of the different environment. It is not a facsimile of the live. It probes, it questions and provokes. It doesn't just describe. At the same time, new kinds of digital objects can be created because of the juxtaposition of content and because users have ready access to different kinds of content and tools such as the virtual scrapbook and the kitchen. So it's not simply a distribution of old art, but it can be used generatively to create new forms of art. And this is perhaps the best way of keeping it fresh and living and with it new and better informed audiences for dance. So what's important to us in this archive is it not only honours and celebrates Davis's work, but does also provide us with new kinds of knowledge about our dance history and dance lineage to increase appreciation for the dance of today and into the future. Thank you very much.